Friends, as we prepare to hear our scripture reading this morning, um, we continue to hear about the growth of the early church and some of its growing pains. Uh, last week, we heard about an argument uh, that broke out and a council that had to be held to uh, address um, how, if and how to welcome Gentiles, non-Jewish persons, into the early church, and did they have to abide by the same uh, covenantal laws that had been in place in the Jewish community. And today we're going to hear more about that controversy, but from a slightly different perspective. Uh, we're going to hear from Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, to the churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. These are churches that Paul helped founded, um, churches made up of, of Gentiles, where he welcomed them in as they were. And then since uh, he left, then other leaders have come in and said, in fact, they do need to abide by these um, traditional covenantal practices. And so in this part of the letter, we hear uh, Paul advocating um, for why he doesn't think that's the case, why they don't need to abide. Uh, that basically, because they have been welcomed into uh, the, the faith of Jesus, this Jesus movement, that that is enough and that Jesus uh, receives them as they are and uh, that it's not specific practices um, or these covenants that they have to keep, but it is their, their faith and the unity uh, that Christ has welcomed them that binds them uh, together. So let us listen for the word of God. Our reading today is from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 and 23 through 29. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our guardian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. 
this is the word of God for the people of God. Oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in 12th grade, I took a calculus with Mr. Streeby, who was a kind man. He had kids uh, about my own age, and this guy loved math. He also loved his students, and one of the things that he did was at least once a month, he would uh, bring in donuts for our class, and instead of doing math at the beginning of class, we would sit around and he would just talk with us. He wanted to know uh, what was going on in our lives. What were we doing outside of school? What were we excited about? And so my classmates and I would take turns uh, talking about what we were doing. Some who were in sports after school, some who were working after school jobs, some who were working on the latest musical, some who were uh, volunteering in places. And one by one, we got to share uh, who we were and what we were doing. And Mr. Streeby always uh, took time to affirm uh, where we were and how we were and who we were. And we knew that we were welcome in his class. It didn't matter whether we were a jock or a theater kid or a band kid or me, a youth group kid. Uh, we all were welcome there. And uh, I realized later Mr. Streeby was a person of faith and he had one other quirk that he showed us from the very beginning of class. And that was the very first day we walked in, he had a sentence on the board that said, you are unique and valuable. And throughout the year, he would repeat that to us, often with our names, Jenny, you are unique and valuable. And uh, in fact, it was the bonus question on every single math test that we took that year. Bonus, colon, you are blank and blank, and we had to fill it in. Now, I remember every time he said this, we would just roll our eyes. We kind of thought it was the dumbest thing that he was doing. But in the 30 years uh, since that time, when I think of Mr. Streeby, the first thing that comes to mind is, you are unique and valuable. What I didn't know at the time is that in that one hour that we saw him each day, he was trying to instill in us a sense of our own belovedness and a sense of our own belonging. It didn't matter what the world thought of us, what the rest of the high school thought of us. When we came into that classroom, we were in a place where we knew that we were loved and that we were affirmed for who we are. When I think about our text for this morning, I think about how Paul was probably trying to do the same thing. That in the society that he was working in and in this early church as it was finding its footing, there were all kinds of messages being put out into the world about status and power. And there were so many different camps and so many divisions in that society. Jewish and Greek, slave and free, male and female. And these divisions could pull people apart. And that's what's happening in this story, that there's this uh, are you Gentile or are you Jewish? Are you one of us or are you someone else? 
And uh, the churches was really butting heads and the leaders were butting heads. And so what Paul does is he comes and he tries to articulate that in this early church, their primary identity is not going to be Jewish or Greek. It's not going to be slave or free. But rather their primary identity is a beloved child of God. That in Christ, in this faith that they share, in following the ways of this healer and teacher and the one whose life, death, and resurrection guides their life, all those distinctions um, no longer carry that power. That when they are part of this community, they are uh, one. They are the same. Uh, Paul phrases it this way. He says, um, For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In other words, he says, you belong here. This is not to say that the other distinctions don't matter, that their other identities don't matter. They do matter, and they do matter beyond the, the walls of this early church. But I think what he's trying to say is that when you come into this space or when you are with your siblings in faith, you are all beloved and you are all equal and all the striving and the status seeking that is outside, it doesn't matter here because you are beloved just as you are. It reminds me of what the sociologist and author Brene Brown has talked about. She's written a ton about vulnerability and about belovedness and belonging. And she, she talks about how both love and belonging are, are fundamental human drives. But she differentiates between uh, belonging and fitting in. She says, you know, we often use these terms interchangeably. But she says that um, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be to be accepted. But belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are, uh, but to be who we are. That when we belong, we can stand apart. We can be different from those around us. We can be unique from those around us but we can bring our full selves and we can be who we are. For me, that is the understanding of the church at its very best. That, I think, is what the church has to offer the world around us, particularly at a time like ours when there is so much division in the world. Division about race and class and gender and sexual orientation and political affiliation and how much money you make and uh, there's just so many things that 
that divide us, that we end up trying to strive for, or uh, that we, we feel bad about ourselves if we don't fit a certain mold. But when we come into the church, if it's a healthy place, if it's a whole place, then it becomes a place where those barriers don't separate us, but rather we see that we are all beloved and that we all belong. Now, it's something that the church, I think, and our church often aspires to. I also think that it's something that, at least here at LOUCC, I see in practice. I remember when I first came here about 11 years ago, one of the first things uh, I was doing was sitting in on uh, faith development team meetings. That's the team that works with all our children and youth. And I uh, remember as they were talking about, they were planning whatever curriculum and class they were working on, that they uh, talked about each youth in our, our class with just such love and adoration and also attention to who they were. I remember them talking about um, one child who was fidgety and so they were like, well, when he's in this class, he might need to hold on to something, play with it. Another, uh, another a student who they were worried, or, or not worried, but they mentioned that he may be on the autism spectrum. And so is there um, something we can do to, to help with that? And, and we have so many wonderful teachers in our uh, church who know um, how to work with students all along the spectrum and sometimes having a weighted vest, a blanket. And so they said, could we have something with weight uh, to wrap around the kid that would help them? Another uh, child who was shy and they said, well, let's give her room to, to warm up. And it wasn't like these kids had to fit some mold. They didn't have to fit in, right? They were beloved and loved for who they were. And their primary identity was this beloved child of God. I was reminded of this again this week as we had our faith development uh, search team meeting. And, and the people on the team were talking about kind of what they appreciate about their own faith background, what they've appreciated about our church. And one of our uh, team members and teen class teachers, Clayton, talked about how much he loves um, the teen class here, that his hope and desire and his experience is that it gives our teens a place to show up and be loved and fully belong and take a break from the caste system of high school. And I thought right back to Mr. Streeby about those messages of, you are unique and valuable. At its best, that is what our church can do. And I think Paul understood that if we can practice that here, then we can go out and practice that in the wider world. If we can see each other as beloved in amidst all of our differences, if we remember that that's our primary identity, then when we go out into the world, it becomes easier to see that as others' primary identity. This reminds me of a story that Isabel Wilkerson shared in her book, uh, Cast. She told the story of a young boy growing up in Alabama named Harold Hale, and he grew up at a time when his, because he was black and his family was black, they were often disrespected by others. And he would see his mother um, called by strangers or children, often by her first name, never by Mrs. Hale. 
And so he decided that he wanted to do something about that, that he would ensure in the next generation that wouldn't happen. And so uh, when he had a daughter, he named her Miss. And that was so that every time somebody had to call her, they would have to say Miss Hale. That instead of seeing her for her difference, instead of assigning her a certain status, they would have to recognize her dignity, recognize her belovedness, that this is Miss Hale. It makes me wonder what would happen if we went around thinking of everybody's first name or title as beloved. Here comes beloved Jim. Here comes beloved Jane. Here comes beloved Dawn. Here comes beloved Mary. What would it mean if we saw each other and treated each other as that as our primary identity, beloved in Christ? And what would happen to the people in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our grocery stores, in, our, in all of our communities, if we could see and share that sense of belovedness and belonging? Friends, I think uh, God invites us to be part of a community in order uh, to both celebrate our uniqueness, but also celebrate our belovedness in the midst of that uniqueness. And to remember that we are the face of God to each other. So may we go forth this day seeking God in each person we meet, remembering that we are beloved and that we belong. Amen.